0: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers on Game of Thrones today for 45 minutes. What do you think? Yes, good idea. No, nothing else to talk about. <laughs> no, we are not going to do that. We do have a, a number of rookie orientations to get to. I have a couple of them ready to go. They are in the bag. I uh, just need to, to put some finishing touches on them, some editing, all that good stuff, but some really interesting conversations about Jay Sternberger, about Darnell Savage, about Kingsley Kiki. And still getting these other ones scheduled, we're going to get Dexter Williams. We're going to get Rashawn Gary. We're going to get these other guys. And and don't forget, if you haven't gone back and listened or didn't listen live to my conversation about Elton Jenkins with Brandon Thorne, you should go do that. If you're a subscriber or if you, if you listen on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, there should be a list of episodes and you can go listen. That is Generally speaking, how radio on demand works, it is why radio on demand is better than just radio because you can decide what you're listening to. <laughs> that is part of the appeal here. We're going to talk about a couple things today and, and one of them is neither are particularly cheery uh, and that's just sort of how it worked out, things that that struck my fancy, but also some news. You know, I I don't have any control over what Tom Silverstein writes for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, but I did get an interesting question from uh, one of my followers and and someone who listens to the show. I don't I, frankly I don't even know if he follows me, but because he sent the the note. In fact, he doesn't. I just checked in real time. He does not follow me on Twitter, but he follows Locked On Packers. On Twitter, or at the very least, he asked the question to at LockedOnPackers, which you can always do. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnPackers. Brian, if if you're not following me, please, I mean, by all means, do that at Peter underscore Bukowski. I, I always appreciate a follower or two. And he asked a question about a pessimist view episode. Now, I did not want to make it a whole episode, but I thought it's worth doing a segment. On the pessimist view of this season. And, and, you know, I'm not going to phrase it as the pessimist view per se, but I think it is fair to look at the season and say, okay, what if things don't go exactly as Green Bay plans? What if things, what if not everything goes right? How does that season look? I mean, I think that is something that is certainly worth talking about. We do have to start, though, with our discussion about the article that Tom Silverstein wrote, and you know this is this is a conversation we've been having since Green Bay made the changes in their management structure, and you know I I, I struggle with this concept because I've been someone who has not been as dubious of the idea as a lot of people from the start, and one of the reasons is. I have always believed that it is a little misguided to believe that a GM is going to be able to, or is at least best suited to, handle all the duties that a GM is ultimately tasked with. And so, you know, you, you sort of go through the criticisms or the potential criticisms of this roster structure, and you say, okay, well, the GM is not in charge of hiring and firing a coach just mark murphy is i don't you know i don't generally speaking have a problem with that i just don't i don't i don't i don't see why that matters other than other gms have that power so i guess from a comparative standpoint you could say okay well i don't have as the gm as much power as some of these other people but The GM in Green Bay does have final say over the 53. He has final say over personnel moves. And basically has free reign to do whatever he wants with the roster. That is the real point of a general manager. One of the the points that has been made before and and is is reiterated in this Tom Silverstein article is the potentially outsized impact of someone like Russ Ball. But what I see is... A person who is not a personnel man, who is not making decisions about personnel. He is not the GM. And it is the case, according to this report, that he was someone that, you know, there was there was a time when it looked like he was going to be the GM. And that Mark Murphy wanted him to be the GM. But he isn't. Right now, by the way, I don't know if you know this, Russ Ball, not the GM. But what is he? Well, he, had, he handles a lot of the operational things that Brian Gutekunst doesn't, and he, he continues to do what he's been so good at for so long, and that's handle the contracts of the players on this team. Very few front office people in the NFL are as adept with whatever they're meant to be doing as Russ Ball is with contracts. So if Brian Gutekunst has a handle on the 53-man roster and he's drafting and he's signing guys and he's doing those things from a developmental standpoint that you have to do if you're a GM and you have this guy who's great with contracts and he's doing operational stuff and, and he is not worried about personnel, but personnel is not his strength, then what is the problem? That's the thing. What is the problem? If those people... And, and, and Really, the answer to my question is if the problem is none of those people is in a position that they think they are doing everything they can to help the team, then that can lead to backbiting, that can lead to backstabbing, it can lead to all kinds of potential Machiavellian problems, but we haven't seen evidence of those problems. Brian Gutekunst has been good to this point, at least we think, of managing this roster. We know Russ Ball is adept at his responsibilities. So if you have a coach and you have a GM and his responsibility is the 53-man roster and dealing with personnel, and then you have another person, even if he's a senior person, he's not dealing with personnel. He's dealing with other stuff. Stuff that I, there was this great line, it killed me where it was Russ Ball basically has Ted Thompson's old job except personnel. What? <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't have control over personnel, he doesn't have Ted Thompson's old job. He just doesn't because the the main part of Ted Thompson's old job is the roster. I mean to act like operations and, you know, some of these other things that are that are integral in making sure that the team runs properly, but not necessarily essential to fielding a competitive roster, that is that is just, like, who cares almost? I mean, certainly the people involved, but I'm sure Brian Gutekind cares that he does not have the full mandate that a lot of general managers in the NFL have. And I'm sure Russ Ball would like to have more responsibility than he has. I'm sure he'd like to have control over personnel. He'd like to be the GM. He thought he was going to be the GM. He's not. And that can create its own sort of issues for this team in the front office. Unless and until it is an issue, it's not an issue. And I just I feel like a lot of these criticisms you know by the way most of them have come from outside of the organization the, the the article does not explicitly cite anyone currently with the team and i just it's one of those things where if you can win if you can win games this is all noise it's just all noise and again this is none of this is undercutting what the reporting says or, or what Tom wrote. I mean, I think, you know, clearly there are reasons to be skeptical. There are reasons that people within the organization, formally within the organization, it is clear that, that there are a lot of people outside the organization that are not happy with the way this all went down because, you know, Green Bay East is in Cleveland and a lot of those guys just left, left, could have stayed and, and did not get, you know, big boosts in title or pay. To go to Cleveland just left because they didn't like the way things were being managed in Green Bay. I think in the case of someone like Elliot Wolf, he thought he was gonna get the GM job. He didn't. And so he said, Okay, I'm out. I'm not, I'm just not gonna get this job. Maybe I'll get it in Cleveland. There are there are a lot of things that that we can say and a lot of signs we can point to to say, you know, this is there's the the potential for dysfunction here. And I, I do think that that the potential is worth noting. But until there is actual dysfunction, I just don't have that much interest in what's going on here. Now, I think the most useful part of the story for us, and this dovetails with the conversation we had last week, is what happened with Ted Thompson. And what what this this article explains is he was Traveling less, he was working less, and everyone else had to pick up the slack. Now, what it also explicitly says is it's not that there was a breakdown in actual chain of command or that the effectiveness of decision making deteriorated. What it says is the efficiency of decision making was hurt. So, decisions were not made as quickly because Thompson was not always available. He wasn't always in the office in the same way. And I think there are reasonable questions to ask, you know, the the fact that he's not on the ground, boots on the ground, he's not going to pro days, he's not in the film room grinding away, you know, his judgment was a big part of why his regime was so successful. So, if he's not able to impart his judgment as often, that could have had deleterious effects on the actual process. We just don't know, and we can't know. If you trust Brian Gudekinst and you trust you know, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and these other guys who have been entrusted by John Dorsey in Cleveland to do these jobs, then you say, okay, well, the same guys that had the input have the input. It was just at the pie chart maybe. Shifted a little bit. So if Thompson, let's say he had 30% input in terms of his scouting, 70% was everyone else, whatever. I mean, I'm just making up numbers here, but let's just say that that was what it was and that goes down to 20. How much does that change the effectiveness of the decision making? We just don't know. We don't know. So now that was the part of it that I thought to me had the most direct impact on conversations we ought to be having in 2019 because. Again, unless and until we can show or someone can show that this is a problem, it's not a problem. And I think there, are, there is a case to be made and I'm, I made the case at the time that I felt like there were, there were actually benefits to doing it this way and that's not a, that's not a Homer thing. I, I, I believe that. I think there are benefits to doing it this way if you have the right people, if everyone goes in knowing that this is the deal and everyone went in open eyes. Brian Gudikins knows and and knew at the time what he was getting into in terms of he didn't have the same responsibilities that every GM had. And Russ Ball continues to do a job that he knew is not the GM job. And these other guys decided, well, we're gonna leave for whatever reasons. And I think part of it was, you know, there was no clear and soon path, no imminent path to becoming GM or or even moving up at all. Could dysfunction have played a role? Maybe, but we don't have explicit evidence of that at this point. So what do we take from all of this? I think we take the same approach and the same information that we've we've taken for the last two years, and that is we gotta wait and see. We have to wait and see. If you if you put the right people in positions, Brian Gudikins is doing the thing he's good at. Russ Ball is doing the thing he's good at. And you hope Matt LaFleur is doing the thing that he's good at. There was a nugget in the piece about, you know, that Mark Murphy made the call to Matt LaFleur before Brian Goodikins thought that they were ready to make a decision. But not that, and this is important, not that he didn't think that Matt LaFleur was the right guy. If it is the case over the course of the reporting of this story that, that Tom had found someone to say, They were not in agreement that Matt Lafleur was the candidate that they wanted to bring in. You have to believe that makes the story, but it didn't. So, you know, making a somewhat rash decision to to hire a candidate everyone agreed was the best candidate, it is perhaps a a fault of of. Interpersonal process in the front office, but not necessarily a flaw in process as a whole. And, you know, I I don't think it necessarily proves that there is a dysfunction. To me, you know, the article reads a lot like any office anywhere. Some people think they should be doing jobs they're not. And not everyone agrees with everything that goes on. And so some people have left. And a lot of people who have left think that things could get worse if they don't get better. That's true. But you know how this all goes away? You win games. New England has been dysfunctional for a couple years now. With Jimmy Garoppolo and and Tom Brady's trainer and Bill Belichick. And, and the whole succession plan there. And, and they continue to win. They continue to win Super Bowls. So winning cures all of these questions, they, they, it, it, it can help insulate you against this sort of infighting because you're winning. So it's sort of like, well, we're winning. Who cares? You get a Super Bowl ring and suddenly you, you care a little bit less about the fact that you feel like someone else is doing a job you should be doing. Winning cures everything. And the only thing that cures everything even close to as well as winning is sex. And now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence boost you need in bed with BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know it's legit and you can take it anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And again, this is not just for guys who can't perform. It's not just for older men. This is for anyone who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than at a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code locked on. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chewcom promo code locked on to try it free. Bluechew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. So I got this question from Tundra Walker double zero, Brian. Then I don't know if Tundra Walker is a White Walker reference or, you know, what the situation is. Apparently lives in Michigan, uh, the wrong side of Lake Michigan, according to his Twitter profile. But he said, you know, Peter, I remember the year that the Eagles added everybody to their team and were the July Super Bowl pick. And then Andy Reid was a chief. Can you do a pessimist view episode for us? So again, this is not a pessimist view. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a fair way of looking at it. And generally speaking, I don't know that the pessimist view is a useful way to look at almost anything. Um, you know, I am, I am someone who comes from what I believe to be a realist school. Uh, I have, I have always felt like that has been something that's important to me. I, I, I think I generally, in life, lean toward optimism. I think I'm a little bit of a dreamer. I'm a, la- I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I just, I don't like focusing on the negative. I, you know, I listen to Bing Crosby and, and the Andrew sisters and I accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. That is just how I look at life, I think generally. But, I, I you know, I also want to be a realist. I want to give you what I think is the most real perspective on this team at all times. I'm not I'm not out here trying to justify every move the team makes. And anyone who who was a listener last year, especially the last 2 years, uh understands that I'm not just here to tell you everything is going to be okay. I'm not here to kiss you on your forehead and tuck you into bed and say look, you know, daddy loves you. That's not my role. I think it is my responsibility to lay out the path to things not going well. What is it? What is a season that is sub expectation, and why does it happen? So let's start with what expectation levels are. I think the the minimum expectation level as this team is a playoff team in 2019, and that means probably winning 10 games, maybe 11, but. I don't think winning the north is necessarily the pessimist view version of this. I don't think it's the worst case scenario. You know, I think I think worst case. If we're really going to go worst case, it involves injuries and I don't I just don't want to delve into that. I just don't I don't think it's beneficial to to anyone to do that because number 1 that stuff is is so unpredictable, but number 2, you know, it, it no no team plans going into the off season and then into the regular season saying, well, if we get hurt at these three key positions, we know we're boned. Well, that that's true of most teams. So, let's assume everyone's healthy in this case. If things don't go the way that we expect. Because I think at this point truly you have to you have to be prepared for say an Aaron Rodgers injury. You know, this is this would be three years in a row, so it, it can't be a surprise. I think in order to subvert expectations, you have to do something unexpected. It wouldn't necessarily be unexpected. An Aaron Rodgers injury certainly could derail this team pretty fast, but I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that. I just I find it to be uninteresting because we all know what that looks like. The last two years show us what that looks like, whether he's going to play or whether he's not going to play. We've seen him play really hurt, and we've seen him not play because he was too hurt to play. So I just find that uninteresting. I think if you're going to build the case for what happens on this defense, you say, okay, the offense doesn't click in the way that that we think it can. We, this was something that happened in Atlanta. If you're a pessimist, if you are a cynic, you're going to point to that Atlanta situation in that first year with Kyle Shanahan and say, "Well, it didn't go great there." So, here is, you know, the the cynical viewpoint of this. It could take a year. And maybe the offense doesn't take that jump forward that you think it can. And you win 7 or 8 games, maybe 9, but you know, you fall just outside of the playoffs. Defensively, you know, part of this is pretty obvious. The the guys who were invested heavily in Preston Smith, Zaydares Smith, and Rashawn Gary don't work out, or they, they certainly you know they don't live up to their contract. Let's say that or their draft position, and I don't think we can expect Rashawn Gary to come in and be you know Khalil Mack. Let's not go crazy. But Zadarius and Preston Smith have to be significant upgrades over the guys that they're replacing in order for this defense to take a step forward. If they don't, then this defense is not going to take a step forward short of pretty significant development from Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. That's another piece of this. So let's say Preston and Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, they're decent. They're just decent. Let's say they're just decent. Jair Alexander doesn't take a step forward. Kevin King can't stay on the field, and Josh Jackson just is this guy. Okay, well, if it is the case that that is all true and the offense doesn't get better, then this team is in trouble. Now, the reason that I, that I haven't presented this in the in in the past is that was a lot of caveats, wasn't it? I mean, really. And it's not that it, it's unlikely to all happen. You know, I, you know, I think there's certainly a case. I just built the case for you. You know, Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers don't click. Matt Lafleur is not a good play caller. I mean, there there are some factors here. But I think you'd have to, you'd really have to combine a lot of them for this not to work. Because if the offense improves, and the defense just remains status quo you're probably going to win a couple more games just on on luck. You're going to get to 9 wins. And if the defense improves, the offense would have to get significantly worse actually for your team as a whole to not get better in terms of the win total because this was a top 10 offense by DVOA last year. So if they're another if they're a top 10 offense again, and the defense gets better, and they move from you know the the mid twenties to the mid teens. This was the the conversation we had last year. What is a what does a, a defense look like that is a playoff defense for this team? If the offense with Aaron Rodgers, if everyone's healthy, and they're just status quo offensively, top top ten with a good running game and a good passing game, some inconsistencies in the red zone, whatever same offense transport the same offense but your defense is better i mean that that is because of the close game percentage they're going to win more close games than they won last year they're going to get 9 10 wins that's just that, I mean, that's, it's math basically everything would have to go wrong for green bay and that's not saying it can't happen it certainly can happen we've seen it happen i think everything would have to go wrong for green bay to not take a step forward from what was last year, what is the most tumultuous and and crazy really calendar year in the franchise's 25-ish years. I mean, uh, since Mike Holmgren came to Green Bay, I mean that's that's the last time that there's been this much upheaval in the organization. So you know, I, I think this is a turning point off season for Green Bay. We can't judge the effectiveness of the you know the moves of the last year or two, you know, with the installation of Brian Gudekinst being the the uh, primary factor here, and then his replacement of Mike McCarthy with Matt Lafleur, although it's Mark Murphy's replacement. We have to we have to give that some time to develop. But that is the case for, for it all going wrong in 2019. That is still not proof that it's all gone to hell for 2020 and beyond. But certainly that that does not make three straight years, if it does happen, of losing any easier to swallow if you're a Packers fan. All right, we're going to get to our rookie orientation series again tomorrow. Darnell Savage, a player that I know a lot of Green Bay Packer fans are very, very, very excited about. Got multiple votes in ESPN's uh, preseason awards column. Multiple people thought he was a potential defensive rookie of the year candidate. I think part of that is opportunity. Part of that is the position he plays. Part of that is his skill set. He is a playmaker. So you look at the, the way that Derwin James impacted the game last season able to do it in the box, able to do it as a cover corner in the slot, able to do it as a coverage person deep. Darnell Savage can can play in all of those fields. And so it makes sense to me that he would be someone on those lists. Guys who get a lot of stats, who get interceptions, who get tackles for loss, who get make splash plays. Savage is a splash play player and is going to get an opportunity to start in Green Bay right away. So it makes sense that he's on those lists. We are going to have a full on discussion about Darnell Savage, his impact on this team and what you can expect from him. I know he's not someone that a lot of NFL fans have watched unless you're like hardcore. You're probably not watching a lot of Maryland football unless you're you're spending a lot of time watching the Big Ten Network. You have not seen a lot of Darnell Savage outside of his highlights on YouTube. So we're gonna give you all the information you need there. Remember you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Lockdown Packers fan hotline, you can do that nine two zero three four one three seven seven five. It's the best way, especially in the off season. To always stay locked on Packers.